Today's video was recorded on March 29, 2022 and is the 11th in our series through the book of Exodus. This lesson will be the first of three in a short series within our study of Exodus that's going to cover the Passover holiday. This series on Passover will lead us directly into the 2022 Passover holiday, which is on Friday, April 15th, that is two days before our traditional Easter celebration on April 17th of 2022. Now, Passover is the holiday of redemption for the nation of Israel, and it launches them from being a group of slaves in Egypt to becoming a nation with God as their king. So in this video, we take a 10,000-foot view of the Passover holiday and how it connects through the rest of the Bible. And this is especially important for the Gospels and the role of Jesus as the Lamb of God. As we'll see, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are nested within the Passover and Unleavened Bread holidays. We can't fully understand the meaning of these events in the Gospels unless we understand the holidays within which they take place. On the Fig Tree Ministries YouTube channel, we have an entire playlist of lessons covering the biblical holidays, and they range from Jesus at the Gethsemane, to the Festival of Tabernacles, and even to how we can figure out Jesus' birthday based on clues given in the Gospel of Luke. As I've taught over the years about the biblical holidays, time and again, Christians have come to realize what a goldmine these holidays are for understanding God's plan of redemption, Jesus, and of course, so much in our New Testament. So make sure you check out those other videos. That'll help you round out your understanding of all of the biblical holidays. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking that red subscribe button below. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you follow our channel so that you don't miss a future episode. We hope you enjoy today's introductory lesson on the Passover. We're going to be starting three weeks of Passover. So tonight is going to be a review for most people. And what I did, at least for the, you know, for the video, I was thinking, I kind of want to do a high-level view. So I'm going to connect a lot to Jesus and uh, to the whole, the rest of the Bible. And then next week, what we'll do is we'll dig into specifically Exodus 12 and go through that and with a fine-tooth comb. And then the week after that, we'll look more intently at the Passover Seder, and that'll lead up to Friday, uh, April 15th, which is then Passover, and then Sunday, April 17th, will be Easter of this year, 2022. I'll say that for the video, 2022, in case someone's watching this three years from now. So that's what we'll do tonight. We're going to do kind of a high-level view of the Passover. Okay, so Passover, one of three. And um, the picture that I chose to use, let me get my clicker to, to work here for a second. The picture that I chose to use the artist here is David Roberts from Scotland, and this is titled The Israelites Leaving Egypt, painted in somewhere between 1828 to 1830. So I put 1829, ballpark that right in the middle. So I'll use this as our background for this, this study, because that, of course, 
encapsulates the idea of being pulled out of whatever situation you're in and exiting to then go on to be able to worship God. And that's the book of Exodus. It's a book of redemption, and it moves us out of our predicament and into the relationship with God, and much more than that, and we'll talk about that as we go on today. So this is our part 11 of the study, our slow roll through the book of Exodus. And we've just finished all of the 10 plagues, or at least the Exodus is going to be the 10th plague, but we've gone through that whole battle of Pharaoh and God, and everybody learning about the nature of the God that they're going to go worship, because they don't really know that at this point. And then coming up to last week, we looked at the spiritual nature of this book, and we'll talk more about that today. And um, then today, we're going to get into now what we know as the Passover. And so number one on your handout is where we find it, Exodus chapter 12. And this is going to be such a critical chapter to understand, uh, particularly Jesus, and how the New Testament writers and Paul see Jesus in light of this Passover event. And these so many details are found here in Exodus chapter 12. So that'll be your homework, is to read Exodus chapter 12. Because as we go over and over and over and over, the details begin to sink in and we learn. So let's, uh, let's talk about the Passover here. Well, at least as we lead up to chapter 12, if you were to look at Exodus 11, Exodus 11 is where God's going to explain the final plague. Moses is going to go to the Pharaoh. And then Exodus 12 shows up, and it is like, it's like a brand new book in a way. We now see the unfolding of that final plague and the interaction of what's going on between God and the Israelites. And it reads so much different than the previous six chapters. It's completely different. And what we start seeing in Exodus 12, and what's so important, is that God begins to provide structure for this brand new nation. See, up until this point, God's never given them a a commandment, right? It's the battle between uh, him and Pharaoh, and they recognize that it's God in the battle, but he's not giving them any commandments yet. And I think that's instructive, because God doesn't pull them out because they obeyed commandments. He pulls them out and says, okay, now that you're out, you need to obey these commandments enough for us to live together. But this is the point where you start seeing God put structure to this brand new nation that's coming out of uh, Egypt. So, for instance, in Exodus 12, one of the things that you'll find when you read that chapter is now we begin a calendar system. So, verse 1, this is going to be the first month of the year. So we start seeing that God's putting structure to their year. Then we get commandments, and there's going to be all kinds of very detailed commandments on what to do, not only for that night, but then commandments 
about celebrating the this Passover throughout all of the generations. So this becomes a very important uh, passage. One of the things you can see is he immediately gives them a calendar and then starts very specifically giving dates. On the 10th day, pick your lamb. On the 14th day, sacrifice your lamb. The next day, we start a festival. And you can see then, going forward in uh, the history of Israel, these take on a life of their own. This is very important, particularly when we get to Jesus. So, this Passover holiday looms large in the psyche of both individual Jews and the nation of Israel. And it's important for us to remember that in that first century, this is a really important holiday. One of the things that is we can you can recognize from the Bible, uh, this is still under number one, that Passover celebrations appear throughout the Hebrew Bible, or we would say the Old Testament, but throughout the Hebrew Bible, you see a series of uh, Passovers being celebrated. And it's instructive because you notice that when the Passovers show up, when they're celebrating Passover, it's at a critical juncture of the nation. Something is going on, a rebirth or a spiritual rebirth. So, for instance, we could say this, well, the first Passover is actually like the birthing of a nation. You're, you're a slave, uh, but you don't worship God in a, in a formalized way. You're a group of slaves, and you're all des- you know your descendancies or your ancestry, but you're, you're not really structured as a nation. And so I've got to take this gaggle of slaves that uh, doesn't manage themselves I've got to pull them out, and I've got to give them structure as a nation, not only to govern themselves, but then to then be the community that my presence lives in. So the very first one, you have the birth of a nation. That's Israel. Then we see another Passover show up in the book of Joshua. Well, what happens in Joshua? Hey, we've got to, we find another water movement, right? We've had 40 years in the desert. We go up to the Jordan River, the water parts, just like the Red Sea, and now they're a new creation, in a sense, inside the Promised Land. What's the first thing they do? Celebrate Passover. So it's a, it's a holiday of renewal and redemption that, interestingly enough, repeats over time. You know, you can do this every single year as you're on your uh, ascent, as you're ascending towards God. It provides you some structure throughout the year. So Joshua, um, we also find it in Second Kings. These are you can go read them at um, at some point later. You have uh, Josiah. Josiah renews the covenant with God, and you in that renewal of their um, the covenant between them and God. You celebrate the Passover. Then you have Second Chronicles. Hezekiah has reforms. He brings reforms back to the temple. You celebrate Passover. So you can see, now the last one, I forgot, I don't know what, I was distracted or something, but I forgot to put this on the page. I thought I did. So you might want to write down, in the book of Ezra, it's chapter 6, verse 19. This is a huge one, right? They've been in captivity for, in exile for 70 years. And now, Ezra and Nehemiah come back, they're rebuilding the temple, and what do they do? 
They celebrate Passover as a way of kind of launching the nation out uh, as a renewed spiritual uh, renewal or a renewed nation or whatever it is. So we can see that throughout the Bible, this Passover uh, holiday is shows up at these critical junctures, right? Now, if you're in Jesus' day and you hate the Romans and the oppressive nature of their government, what do you want more than anything? Well, you want another renewal to happen at Passover, right? Come on, let's get these Romans out of here. And so this is to the psyche of a first century Jew and to the nation as a whole, Passover is a really big deal. And that is going to help us as Christians understand then our New Testament and what's going on with Jesus. One thing I should note, so notice how, many, how often Passover ends up uh, or shows up in the Hebrew Bible. Now, they had been celebrating this for hundreds of years, not just in Israel, but while they're in Babylon and those who lived in Babylon, and also elsewhere. Asia Minor, Alexandria, Egypt. What happens when a group of people celebrates something year after year after year? What starts building up? You get traditions that you might not have in the Bible, but they're related in some way, shape, or form. Human beings can't help it because once someone does something, you go, oh, wait a minute, last year we made, you know, whatever casserole. We better do that again. It's tradition. Next thing you know, it's mandated that some special casserole is made for the holiday because somebody did it 50 years ago and no one can remember why. So I just want you to recognize, by the time we get to Jesus, they've been doing this year after year after year after year. And they're going to have some solid traditions, whether or not they're directly spoken from God or not, but they would relate to the idea of the Passover. Because those traditions literally take on a life of their own. All right, kind of like our Christmas. You know, we look at our Christmas and you say, well, are there any commandments from God about how to celebrate Christmas? No, there aren't. But those traditions become very powerful. And if you disrupt those traditions, people get upset. I want to sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve with a candlelight service. And if I can't, then it's, you know, somehow not the same holiday. And that's just been, that's how traditions build up because they, they kind of live in our psyche. All right. Now, that's Passover in the Old Testament. Well, let's look at number two, Passover and the Gospels, right? Because every single Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are going to frame the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through the lens of the Passover. Well, we better know, we better understand the details, the expectations, all of that that's, that, that's going on in their mind that everyone would know that we don't. So um, what I want you to do is, as a place to start, even though we're, we're going to study Exodus, the place to start is Luke 22, or that's one place you can start. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 22. So Luke 22, we're leading into, this is the Passion Week, and we're coming up to Jesus going to the cross. And Luke 22, verse 1, starts out. Now the festival of unleavened bread, so we're going to, you'll see that unleavened bread festival mentioned in Exodus 12. That's where it's first mentioned. 
It's called the Passover. So it seems these two holidays have an interchangeable name, and that's true. We call it Passover today, but in the New Testament, it's often referred to as unleavened bread. So right there, quick sentence, most of us for many years would read right past that, never stop to ask, now what are they talking about? And, I'm, and it's amazing, you know, how often Christians will read right past that uh, without asking those questions. And I know many of you know, once you find out, it really opens up a whole world that we never knew was there and how important it is to understand these festivals. All right, now look down, go from verse 1 down to verse 7 and 8. And we notice Luke is now going to repeat. So Luke's going to repeat the idea uh, of unleavened bread and Passover. Now, I'll point out here, I don't know, this is the NIV, so I don't know what your Bible has. Some Bibles have titles, sometimes they don't. But one reason that we often read past these unleavened bread Passover is because this right here. The NIV puts a title, and my title says The Last Supper. Now, that's a very Christian thing. That looms large in the Christian psyche. We know it as the name The Last Supper. And so you see Last Supper, and then it's blah, 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 blah. Let me read through that, get to the part about the wine and the covenant. And we miss, what is Jesus calling this meal, right? Well, let's read it. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, and he says, Go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So according to Jesus, what meal is he about to eat with his disciples? It's that Passover meal. And again, I know many of you know, you've been to Seder's. And you know how amazing those satyrs are when you can now place what's happening with Jesus into the context of this holiday that's been celebrated all the way, or all the way back to Exodus. Now, one thing to note is early Christians, early Christians celebrated Passover, not Easter. Easter, the switch to only Easter comes later. And there's a controversy uh, that took on a Latin name, quattro decimian, which means it's the word, it's the Latin word for 14. Well, the 14th day of the month is Passover. And so early Christians celebrated Passover in light of what Jesus did, and they were called the 14ers. Well, there begins to be rifts now between Christians and Jews, and eventually, and I'm, some, I'm, I'm doing a big summary of church history, but eventually you get to the Nicene Creed, and we're like, nope, split those two. No longer are we, are we going to be permitted to celebrate the 14th, the Passover. It's now our celebration day is Easter. And so this is a little frustrating, uh, but I think what's happening is more Christians are learning this, and they're going back to say, okay, what is it about that holiday that I need to pay attention to? The point being, that's why so many of us can read past this, because we kind of have our subconsciouses on autopilot. We know about the Last Supper, so we just read past these holidays and don't think much about it. But notice, this is important to Luke. It's important to Mark and Matthew and John, 
and everything that that's happening uh, with his death, death, resurrection, and ascent, or uh, death, burial, resurrection is all around uh, this holiday for Passover. All right, so Jesus then takes on, right? He is fully immersed in this biblical holiday uh, that's been around for a thousand years, that is celebrated and people argue over traditions and all of that. And what do the people around Jesus in that first century, particularly the zealots, what do the zealots want? They, it's that biblical holiday Passover. Jesus is coming to town as the king. And those zealots, yes, Jesus, overthrow the Romans, go to war. God will be with us, just like he overthrew the Pharaoh. That's what many of the crowd wanted. And then, of course, Jesus didn't give them that. He is the lamb, as we'll see over the next couple of weeks. He is the Passover lamb. If you are covered in the blood, you are delivered. But he didn't show up to do a physical deliverance. He shows up to show you the spiritual exodus, that wherever your place in life happens to be, Physically, your soul and your spirit can be freed. Man cannot govern your spirit if you don't allow them. It's a spiritual exodus that Jesus is uh, showing. And the whole message of Jesus, the Gospels, the New Testament, they're all nested in this metaphor of Passover. So, another piece to this that we're, we're not going to go over in real uh in detail, because there's just no time. We would need about six or seven weeks. But the idea that Passover is not a random one-off, and I know that for everybody on the call, you guys know this, we've gone through these biblical holidays, but for anyone watching the video, we just have to, we have to recognize that Passover doesn't show up as a kind of one-off day. This is part of a series. In fact, it begins a series of biblical holidays. There's seven of them. And so on your sheet, number three, I, I listed the holidays. I gave you for both Passover and Unleavened Bread, where it shows up in Exodus. We're not going to read them right now. And then also in Leviticus chapter 23. But just for review, we have a whole list of biblical holidays that Passover is the beginning of. It's the, you're being pulled out of the bondage that starts this whole thing going. So we have Passover. It shows up on the 14th day. You'll see that in Exodus 12. Then you have the very next day is a biblical holiday called Unleavened Bread. Now that's what we just saw in Luke, right? It was the festival of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb is to be slaughtered. And I'll show you how close those two bump together because the Passover lamb is slaughtered at the end of the day on the 14th, the Jewish day ends at 6 p.m., so that you eat the, the meal, you're, you're eating the meal then on the 15th. So you start that very next holiday, unleavened bread. Then we get the next holidays. I'll just go through them real quick. You have first fruits, and all of these are all happen in the same week, sometime around March to April every year, and it represents the time of year when the barley is coming ripe. Then the fourth holiday is called the Festival of Weeks, Shavuot. In Hebrew, 
We call it Pentecost because it's 50 days after first fruits. How do you say 50 days in Greek? Pentecost. This is the wheat harvest. Then you move all the way to the uh, to September to October time frame, the Festival of Trumpets. Then you have the Day of Atonement and the Festival of Tabernacles, and that's what we know today as the High Holy Days, and those are grapes and olives, whatever is left over on the trees. So that's our biblical holidays, but it only takes a second to say, hey, wait a minute. Jesus, in that first three holidays, he dies, right? He's representing that Passover lamb. He dies as the Passover lamb. He's put into the ground as the unleavened bread of the world. Leaven represents sin, and he's sinless. He's the unleavened bread, and he resurrects on the day after the Sabbath, which is the first fruits. And Paul says Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. All right, that's pretty remarkable. And then he walks around. He's resurrected for 40 days. He ascends to heaven, says, I'll be back in 10 days. Why do we know 10 days? Because it's the Pentecost coming up. And on the fourth holiday of that year, the Holy Spirit comes back. So Jesus is four for four in that year when it came to holidays. And what we're waiting for on our own personal calendar is, well, the trumpets to blow for his return. And that when the trumpets blow and, and the judgment comes, there will be atonement. And then that festival of tabernacles is like a giant party. So you can see right there that even the biblical holidays represent a process of redemption in a, on a cosmic scale. And Jesus is hitting every single one. Okay, that was just real quick. Uh, again, we're not going to do a lot on the holidays, but I just want you to know Passover unleavened bread begin a series of holidays. They're not just random one-off days. Um, God has, God's coordinated and they fit in the cycle. Um, okay, so if you turn your handout over, uh, we have to remember then that this idea of Passover is nested, is right inside that process of redemption that the book of Exodus shows us. And this is going to be a repeat of a little bit, I've added one, one more picture, a little bit of what we did last week about the spiritual nature of Exodus. So, for instance, um, when we just look at how does the book of Exodus flow, right? We, it starts off enslaved, and the physical slavery of the, of the Israelites, but also the spiritual or even, uh, well, we, you know, human beings are mind, body, spirit, so our spirit affects the way that we think, and when we have, we have our mind becomes enslaved, right? What can be worse than a body enslaved is your mind is enslaved. And it's this exodus from mind, body, spirit. Not only do, can you have a spiritual exodus, but it changes the way that you think, right? So you have uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind type of thing from Paul. All right, so we start in slavery. Everybody can imagine that. Then here's where our Passover comes in. It's this critical piece right here. It's the critical piece because we're going to get launched out into this uh, new creation business and this Passover lamb and this Passover shows up right in the middle of the process. When the Israelites leave, there's a big, there's a water event. Those water events in the Bible are very important because just like baptism, as you come out of those baptismal waters, there's a new creation on the other side. 
And there's something very powerful about going through those waters that, um, you know, spiritually we shift. It ca- it's, it sol- it's a ritual that helps solidify the shift in our spiritual perspective. Then, after the, the Red Sea, they go to a mountain. Now, when they first get to, the, to Mount Sinai, they're frightened, right? God looks ominous. There's going to be a big shift that happens from being frightened to having the intimate relationship with God at the end of this. But one question that we'll tackle eventually is, why is mountain so important? Why is a mountain so important to this? Well, we're on a spiritual journey, and mountains, that's how you describe a spiritual journey. Every time you spiritually grow as a, as a Christian, as you move closer to God, because in the cosmology of the way we think about God, God's always up, chaos is always down. So we don't want to go down, we don't want to be depressed or in despair or down in the dumps. We want to be up, right? So we go up to God, and as you ascend towards God and you have spiritual uh, awakenings along the way, you see clearer. It's, the, the metaphor is amazing because it's just like climbing up a mountain. If you climb up the side of a mountain, you're ascending, and then you look around, and suddenly your perspective changes, and you can see clearer. Well, that's what happens spiritually as we ascend towards God. So it's a, it's a great metaphor. God wants to lift you up from the worldviews that bog you down. That's the mountain. Then, last 15 chapters of the book, we've got to create a space for God to reside. That's the tabernacle. Once they do, then God comes down and dwells powerfully, very intimately, with the community. And so that's the book of Exodus, and this is redemption. As we'll see, it's a little picture that God's then going to expand out to the whole world through Jesus. And I'll show you how the New Testament, how the language of the New Testament tells us that. So this is the process of redemption from slavery to the indwelling of God. And one of the important pieces is this chapter 12 um, about that Passover lamb and uh, having, you know, the, the, the Spirit of God pass over you so that you don't experience death. So, okay. Very important. Within the holiday of Passover and within uh, the book of Exodus, there is a very important piece that we haven't covered yet. And it's central to the celebration of Passover. So if you go to a Passover meal, you're going to find this. Jesus and his disciples at their Passover meal, you will find this. Jesus and the cup of wine, it'll start to make sense. So, and it's referred to as the four expressions of redemption. So what I'd like you to do is turn, if you would, I'll put it on the screen as well, but if you would, turn to Exodus 6, and it's going to be verses 6 and 7. And these four expressions of redemption, I'll show you why it's so important in a minute um, as we walk through them. Because this is, this is God's promise to the Israelites prior to 
everything kicking off uh, between him and Pharaoh. So let's go starting off at verse 6. God says this, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So, the very first expression of redemption is the idea of bringing you out. And this is number uh, five. So, I will bring you out. That's number one. Then, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, that's the NIV. I will free you. Most of the other Bibles say, I'll deliver you or I will rescue you. I like rescue or deliver. It sounds more active than just freeing. But I will free you from being slaves. That's the second expression of redemption. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So there's the third one. I will redeem you. And then it says, and I will take you as my own people and I will be you God. I will take you. That becomes the fourth one. When that happens, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So notice there's an experiential knowing. I know God because of the experience I just went through where he delivered me. And I know what type of God this is, and it's deeper knowing than just book knowledge. But here are the four. I will bring you out, I will free you, I will redeem you, and I will take you. Now, what's really interesting, and we'll do this in a second, is each of these expressions, different Hebrew words, so you say, well, do they tell us something slightly different, nuanced? Yes. And what's really cool is they're increasing in intimacy with God. So, let's go now. If, uh, so, number, oh, now we are number five. These expressions of redemption, I will bring you out. You don't need to know the Hebrew. I'm just putting it on the video if anybody wants to go study. You'll see that there are four different Hebrew words. I will bring you out, Yatsah. I will rescue you, Natsal. Then you get this one. I will redeem you, Gaal. That's like a, um, that's a kinsman redeemer type thing. And as we mentioned uh, in Exodus, the, uh, the very first study we did is that when you hear the word redemption, it comes from the culture, uh, that word redeem, ga'al, and it has to do with your father's house. I find myself outside the father's house and I'm redeemed back into the father's house back to my rightful place. Okay? So that's the redemption. I'm, it's, notice, it's not just rescuing, but I'm actually redeeming you back into the Father's house to where you belong. Then, the last one, I will take you, lakak, and that one has to do, it's the word that's used for marriage, to take in marriage. What's God doing? What's going on here? I'm not just rescuing you. I'm going to bring you into my household, and then we're going to have an intimate relationship, like a marriage. There's an increasing nature to these, uh, these four expressions. I, for a long time, I was like, why did he have to use four expressions? I didn't understand. 
that they're increasing. So the first two are like, hey, I can deliver anybody, but it doesn't really change anything. I just got you out of that situation. But when you say I redeem you, I bring you into my father's house. Ah, now we're, now we're coming back into God's house. And what does Jesus say, right? In my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's the redeemer. So it's, it's more intimate than rescue. Then God says, and I'm going to take you. Oh, there's a marriage ceremony going on. So if you ask a, one of your Jewish friends about what's happening in Exodus at Mount Sinai, it's a marriage ceremony. God is the bridegroom and Israel is the bride. Now we find that metaphor in our New Testament, don't we? Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. It's the same metaphor. So these expressions of redemption, it's just so powerful that God isn't just rescuing you. He's bringing you into now a covenant relationship back in the household and in a marriage. Why is it important for, for obedience to God? Well, because it's like, it's like your marriage. So, okay, and that will show up throughout Exodus, but I just want to show you how cool this is that once you can see that increasing nature, it starts to make sense. Okay, now I'm going to bring it back to Jesus because this is these four expressions of redemption, then when you get to the Passover Seder, they become the structure that the Passover Seder is built around. So if you go to a Passover Seder means order, but if you go to a Passover celebration, the whole structure of the night is around four cups of wine. So we have four cups of wine. And these cups of wine are based on the four expressions of redemption. There's the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of, some say consummation, some say praise, some say restoration. So it's following, it's following the four promises of God. Now, one thing you have to note, the first two cups, cup of sanctification, cup of deliverance, are before the meal and during. Then, after the meal, so that little line I just drew down, after the meal, you get two more cups of, you can see why the disciples were so tired by the time it was midnight. You know, they already have four cups of wine, they're ready to go to sleep. The last two, the cup of redemption and the cup of consummation, they come after the meal, right? So what does Luke tell us in Luke 22? He says, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and declared, this is the blood of the covenant. So which cup is he now uh, using to represent the blood that he's about to shed on the cross? It's the cup of redemption. Well, that's what Jesus does. He's the redeemer. That's what he's going to do. So the blood, just like the blood of the lamb that's on the doorpost, if you're covered in the blood of Jesus now, you're delivered. So he's using a very specific cup. Now, it's awesome because it makes sense now. Ah, my blood represents the redemption. That doesn't mean just I rescued you. That is, I'm bringing you back into my father's house. So in John, at the Passover, I go to my father's house. I'm preparing a place for you. We're all like, do you have enough rooms for all of us? 
Yes, in my father's house there are many rooms. I'm going there as the Redeemer to build out the space to prepare a place for you to come to be back into the Father's house. Then, and at least according to Mark, what, what happens is Jesus says, I will not drink again until the kingdom comes. So what's the last cup? The consummation. What are we consummating? What's the consummation event at the end of the end of time? What's God doing to Israel as he takes them to be his people, his bride? We have a wedding coming up. And Jesus says, I'm not going to drink the cup of consummation yet. It's not happening yet. But there will be a day when my bride will be ready and my bride and I will come together. And so you get that last cup of consummation then makes sense because take doesn't just mean take. it means there's a marriage ceremony going on. Okay. It all fits. And it's so important that we can see these little teeny details um, to recognize even Jesus is in this, uh, is moving along this, all of the ideas from Exodus are now coming into fruition with him. So just to give you an example, if you have your Bible, turn to Revelation 21. It's almost at the very end, because a few weeks ago I mentioned that Exodus shows us what God intended all along. He wanted his presence to dwell with his people. That, that's what was happening in Eden. It's God's presence and God's people in God's place. And there's the tree of life and the river of life. And the whole time, his goal is to bring that back around. And so what you find at the end of Revelation is exactly that. You got the tree of life and the presence of God and the people of God all coming back together. And the language they use is a marriage. So Revelation 21, 1 to 3, and we'll finish with this. So John's writing, and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, as we've talked about sea before, that's the chaotic abyss. So when you get to heaven, there's no longer the chaotic abyss. Aren't we all? We're thankful for that. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's a wedding happening. It's the same exact thing as Nexus. And then it says, and I hear a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Well, what's happening at the end of Exodus? Exactly the same thing. So Exodus is like a miniature picture. This is why I'm so uh, excited about teaching this class, because if you can understand the miniature picture of Exodus, you can understand the whole plan of God. And then you start seeing how Jesus fits into that. And everything he says from, the, from the, uh, their Passover meal, what he's saying, to what's written in Revelation, starts to come congeal inside the idea of God dwelling with his people. So they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And that, what, you just, what we just read in Revelation, is exactly saying the expressions of redemption. I'm bringing you into a house, and, you, and we're going to have a marriage. That's how intimate God wants to live with us. And then, you know, we could say, well, what's God's love language? Right? Well, 
Just like you want to know your spouse's love language to keep the relationship going, we need to know God's love language. So, God loves it when you obey Him and treat the person who's made in the image of God just like you would God. Love, your, love God and love your neighbor. That makes God very happy. Okay, uh, that's a lot, but it's an overview, right? You have the Passover in Israel. This is by way of review. The Passover in Israel, very important. This is the, this is the holiday for the nation found all throughout the Old Testament at all those critical junctures. Then you have the Passover and the Gospels. Each Gospel writer is making sure you understand that, the, that what is happening to Jesus is set inside that Passover event and, oh, by the way, the biblical holidays as they progress forward. So that's important. The whole thing is a process of, of redemption, um, and these four expressions then bring us closer and closer and closer to God until you get, of course, the, the wedding and the marriage. God is the, the bridegroom, Israel's the bride. And then just to connect it back to Jesus and a Passover celebration, which is why it's so cool to go to a Passover Seder, is how those four cups of wine lead us through, and then you can begin to see where Jesus is, is they're being pointed out inside of uh, our Gospels. So four cups of wine to go along with those four expressions. All right. I felt like I was, a, like a, I was kind of doing a big circle, right? I'm just hitting all these little points, and then hopefully what happens is, as you see how these details are connected, we kind of get these little flashes of insight. Oh, that's where that connects. Oh, now I can see what Jesus is talking about here. Those insights are how we can grow spiritually because we get a better understanding of, of what God is up to. All right, so your homework. I am going to assign homework this week. Read Exodus 12. Pay attention to all the little details because you go from, you go from just the narrative about Pharaoh to suddenly it's like, do this, do that, do this on this date and that date. Cook the lamb like this and then, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you'll see all these things that are, that are going on inside that chapter. And you're going to see, of course, that all of that are, is uh, going to apply to Jesus as well as he is fulfilling all of that. All right. So that's part, that's one of three on the Passover. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it helps you gain a deeper understanding of the biblical text. Fig Tree Ministries is an educational nonprofit and we're 100% listener supported. If our lessons have been valuable to you in your study of the Bible, we ask that you support our work with a financial donation. Whether it's a one-time donation or you become a monthly supporter, we appreciate your generous gift. Donations are easy through our website, figtreeteaching.com, and you can become a regular supporter for as little as $5 per month. We've included a link to our donation page in the description section below. Online giving through our donation partner, DonorBox, is easy and secure. By setting up your DonorBox account, you'll be able to easily track your donations when it comes time to doing your taxes. We thank all of our donors for their generous gifts, and as you go into the world, may the words of number six be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Shalom.